Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello, welcome on today's episode of Sansi Eve, Nicholas Mazzoni. He is a cool dude, and welcome to the show, Nicholas. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Erin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. How, tell us about how you got into the area of spirituality. You know, I think that's one of those questions that we all struggle with. Um, I, I don't know if it started when I was younger or if it started when I was... I think it started right at birth, really. I think we were put on a path and we have a certain kind of thought process. I was born into the family of a military chaplain and a Southern Baptist Christian pastor, and I grew up my whole life in that world, never really certain if I was really on the right path. I was always questioning because of the way that my family dynamics worked. But I went to college, and if I could be candid, I had started experimenting because I couldn't in my youth days because of the kind of household I lived in. I just started reading a lot and being really profoundly interested in truth, whatever that means. I started doing drugs and doing a bunch of adventure sports and just reading. And I started having amazing dreams that are vivid and lucid. And it started to open up my mind that perhaps I've been in a self-imposed prison my entire life. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And it really is continuing because the more I go down the path, the more I realize that I don't really know that much. As we all do when we go down that path, it must be pretty cool to explore yeah. the the um, the unknown of, of where we're going to go. Yeah, it is. It's cool to, to have a constant vigilance. You know, I like the metaphor of the lion who stalks his prey. He treads really softly, but has a certain power about him and a vigilance. And he's able to find his prey while still walking softly. And I think that's what I look at truth like. I'm just kind of a quiet observer as best I can be. And I look for clues and I go with them. And in some moments they work for me and in some moments they don't, but I still just move forward. Is that how you visualize uh, truth to be? I visualize it to be something that kind of hides behind the curtain. I think the more I start to understand, I see it as a really simple thing, as is the nature of anything if you go down one path too long, say Christianity or New Age or Hinduism or anything, if you go down it too long, the very thing that inspired you to come to that certain level of truth kind of changes its space. And so you begin to really go through emotions and the truth kind of takes on a different form. It's like it's always right in front of you, but when you get to it, it's like the coyote, the trickster, and it kind of goes a different way. So I think that truth is just something that is innate within the human psyche to want to discover, but it doesn't really have a specific face. It's always changing and molding. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how it shapes and molds. It's a pity it couldn't stay to one particular object. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that idea of the particular object, you know, it 
I like, I grew up in the Christian church, and so I studied Christ a lot, or I would like to think that I do, and I'm always getting new understandings, deeper metaphysics in the study of Christ. But one thing that I am seeing a lot of is the kind of idolatry of personality. It's like we tend to worship an image, no matter what it is. It could be the person Jesus Christ, or it could be crystals, or it could be a specific modus operandi of finding truth or expressing energetic principles. And that thing that we get onto kind of becomes almost cheap because we put so much stock and faith in it. It becomes a cheap version of what it originally was. Yeah, it's it's interesting how we want to be truthful, but yes, it's the harder path to go down. Yeah. Definitely. It is hard. Yeah, it'd be cool if it was easier if you could just flick on a switch the same way you could do with a lie, you know? Yeah, but I don't know if that's really that much better. I kind of think that we like the challenge. I mean, just look at the evolutionary tendencies of of ourselves. We're kind of competitive by nature, and I think it's almost part of it to struggle through to find it. And the funny thing is, it seems like The simplest answers always have the most truth to them, but it takes so much hard work and struggle to get to the simple thing, you know? It's a pity we don't have like a, you know, like we have an app on our phone to tell us the time or everything. It'd be cool if you had one uh, as a truth (laughs) monitor, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that's funny you say that. I've been studying this guy named David Hawkins. A lot of people know him. He's a pretty well-known New Age doctor and he talks about how there is a gauge it's a pretty objective thing and i think we're in a world of trying to neatly balance our subjective thoughts and our objective understanding of reality but he thinks that there's a a gauge of truth and that you can kind of feel something that's truer than something else with the proper tuning of your conscious mind but that's pretty interesting been reading up on that yeah. Kinesiology, I believe it's called. I've heard of one of your interviewers recently. She was talking about that kinesiology. Very interesting subject. It is. And the area of spirituality is very interesting. And it's interesting how consciousness is the, the forefront of everything, but everything falls behind us. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean by that? Can you. Can you expound on that a little? So, so like, we have a mind, we have a body, we have a spirit, and, like, you know, like, the consciousness is right, like, I'm gonna, instead of thinking about eating a ham sandwich, I'm eating a ham sandwich, you know? What would your view be of that? I think we don't think about eating the ham sandwich, we just eat it, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, I think there's two aspects of it, you know? There's the part of you that thinks about the ham sandwich before it's made, you know? And that part of you goes into the kitchen and says, I think I'll make a ham sandwich, and he makes the ham sandwich. And then there's the part of you, the observer, that's watching that process and kind of doing another part, gauging another aspect of it. So I don't don't really know if it's the ham sandwich or the observer eating ham I don't really know man honestly I think that that's you kind of kind of got me <laughs> I don't really know if I understand too no. fully I don't know if um, I don't have the ears to hear that at the moment I don't it doesn't click with me 
it 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 sounds like you're at a a, a level that is that is exploration exploring of your observer and you. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a part of me that's observing myself and saying, "Oh, that's not true. You don't really believe that." You know, like I find myself saying things or acting things out, and there's another part of me that looks at them and says. If you really believe that, I don't think you really believe that. And so I, it's almost like the cognitive dissonance within, you know, there's the part that sees it and, and, and claims something to be true. And then there's the part that doubts the very exclamation of something being true. Like we've socially programmed in a way to say things, whether it's a political affiliation or some nuance of society we're programmed to say certain things if we really think about what we're saying they a lot of it really doesn't even hold up it's just some opinion you know when you observe what goes through your mind when i observe yeah i mean i think that changes in any moment i'm on a handyman service it's kind of like the hand sandwich i guess i can be putting a floor in and at the same time not be there and be completely thinking on other things and still be present in the action of putting the floor down. I don't know if there's any specific thing that goes through my mind. I think it changes and is transient depending on the energy level that I have or we have and the current understanding that I have of, of where I'm at. I noticed that Often my perception and my perspective and my ideas of what it is I'm doing change almost daily. So it, it really depends on where I'm at and my development. And it's not that there's any part of me that's more developed than another part. I think it just ebbs and flows with it would seem like the moon or just the current mood of the world. You know, there's a dance between clarity and confusion a lot. And so I think when, if you ask me what goes through my mind when I'm observing today, it could be one thing and tomorrow another. Do you think that's because of the creative juices that are flowing through you and doing things? The creative juices? Yeah, like like you, you put down floors, is you, that's a very creative, even though it's a very um, a manual labor uh, task. Do you find that observing this, doing it, it kind of and watch and being in flow, that it becomes more better than if you were thinking about something else while doing something else at the same time. Yeah, I think even in the aspect of doing a floor, such a simple thing, I think it really depends on each moment. Like sometimes it's just laying a full plank along the floor. And when you do that, you might, one's mind can be on other subjects and on the floor simultaneously. But then sometimes you have to cut a board and slide it under a piece of trim and it has to fit perfectly so that you don't see any gaps right on the floor between where the wall is and where the floor is. And that's a more intricate process. It takes a harder cut. And so I'm more perhaps zoomed in on that. It requires more of a percentage of my conscious energy to make that cut. But I always think that there's like two parts of our mind, right? There's that part that's in the moment doing something. And then there's a part that's almost introspecting or exploring or thinking on things that are not necessarily tangible before us, 
but are in the future or are some grand idea that we have about ourselves, the people in our lives, or where we want our life to be. And depending on the situation right before us, we can either have that more ethereal part, that part that's kind of in the clouds, more in the background or in the foreground, depending on the pertinence of the situation. You know, right now I'm talking to you and I'm actually pretty new to this podcast thing. And so I'm trying to stay as focused as I can on that. My mind isn't wandering around in some unseen world so much. It's more directly here in hopes that I have the right thing to say in the right moment. It's taking more of my cognition to speak to you than it would if I was going to work to do a floor right now because I've done that so much before. I have more room to use my mind in other realms. If you could describe what the mind wandering is, what would you describe it like? The mind wandering would be like a boat without an anchor in a turbulent sea, I would say. It kind of just goes here and goes there, and it wanders to all these different things. But I do think that there's a way to anchor the mind more and more. I think as I get older, the things that my mind wanders to still fall under the same sort of banner of focus that I have for my life. I have to make immediate money, for example, so maybe I'll be doing a floor or fixing a fan, installing something as a handyman service. That's an immediate money, but the things that I'm, when my mind is wandering, the things that they're thinking about are progression, are what I'm going to do with my time after work, whether it's this podcast or writing an article. Like it is wandering and it's almost a wash in some turbulent sea, but there's an anchor still holding it within an area instead of it going from the coast of the UK down to South Africa, over to Australia and back to the US. You know, it's instead it's staying in the harbor of North Carolina, falling in a certain subject that may wander here and there, but still has one ultimate objective in mind, which is that, which is the progression of a few key parts of life. What do you think the, the key components of life are? Well, for me, it, it varies for everyone, depending on where their goals are or what their development is. My key parts of my life just revolve around, I think, a lot of what most people's revolve around. It may show itself in a different form. You know, like my key aspects would be a comfortable home life with somebody that I love, a clean, warm house immediately. It would be having enough money and a little bit more so that I can get by comfortably and still progress forward a later date, um, maybe retirement or whatever. It's just to have the basic necessities of life. And it's also to express and to serve and to create things that come more from the passionate, fiery pit of my soul, like the part of me that is creative and, and needs to express. And it's to make these things more in line so that my professional life and my personal life are more in line with that passionate part of me, deep in my belly, instead of entertaining less important aspects daily, like instead of entertaining 
a nine to five job that I don't like or in entertaining things that ultimately I'm not completely satisfied doing. And I see that progression happening. I see it happening in a lot of people, especially those who begin to recognize their power and to step into what they feel they were called to do. So really, I think it's just the basic things, man. It's uh, reflecting the most positive for my life and the people around me and doing the most good. But like I said, when I was a kid, my mind would wander to all sorts of things. Maybe it would be torn up about this woman or that woman or sports or what this kid said or what happened down the street or some tiff I got in with the neighborhood boy, you know? But now it's more pinpointed and more productive. Instead of 25 different things I'm thinking on, it's maybe five or six. And I think that I'm not the only one that can say that. It's it's interesting how it's all of us in the same boat at trying to achieve very similar things if we're not spiritually aware or new to this game, you know? Mm-hmm. We're all trying to afford these aspire to certain things and we don't have to have a quote-unquote spiritual mindset to do that i mean we're all spiritual creatures we're all searching for god whether we call it god or we call it something else you know i don't think it's specific to any spiritually oriented person because the really the only difference i think of a spiritually oriented person and not is the words we use you know I think everyone's searching for the same thing. Yeah, it's, it shows you how, how language can confuse the, the elements of clarity. Yeah, they really can. Language is very interesting. I actually, I run a business called, it's in the works and it's I'm slowly growing it. So I'm kind of simultaneously wearing two hats, if you will. And it's called NJM Communication, a writing and speaking service. And it deals with that. We're all kind of speaking the same thing, and really, the one thing we all have in common, communication. We may all we may speak different languages, but our bodies all say the same thing, and our words are really important unifying factors, and if we can get on the same page with our words, I really think more of us will be able to focus on a few things that lead us to where we want to be instead of being all scattered and worried about the future, you know? And what made you start your business in communication? I just think communication is one of these things that everybody can improve upon. If we can improve our communication, we can literally improve the world. I mean, from an interpersonal aspect, Think about how many people miss out on opportunities because they don't know how to express ideas. You know, think about how many people get in trouble or show anger or express themselves negatively because people won't hear them or they don't know how to use their words. This is such an important part. No matter if you are, quote unquote, the most enlightened person in the world or a regular Joe struggling on the streets of New York. If we can communicate, we can, wherever we are in our lives, we can improve it. We can improve our life. We can improve the people around us. We can have happier relationships, happier neighborhoods, happier communities, states. And it really just starts with getting a hold of our words and by communication that means expressing ourselves expressing how we're feeling when we're angry giving more emotion to people not being afraid to 
show vulnerability and all these things can be really taken care of through words really yeah words have meaning and power on a superficial and surface area as well you know totally i mean you know a lot of people say oh i want to words are dualistic or you, the point is to get beyond words and that's all fine and dandy i get it like in a world of dualism, non-duality is a great thing to aspire to, but the fact of the matter is we live in a dualistic world, and we can't expect to get beyond words, because words are the very thing that unify us as an evolutionary species. Our communication is single-handedly the reason where we are where we are. So if we can help improve people no matter where they are in their communication skills, we can totally do amazing things, superficially and holistically, and from the depths of our wisdom to the most surface level of our daily lives, we can really change things. Do you see that change happening? I do, but I see the change happening today, but maybe not tomorrow. You know, I mean, I think it's always progressing, but sometimes it's like life to me is like the stock market. It's always going up. But sometimes it crashes, sometimes it has a roll, but it's always going up. And I'm only using the word up as an arbitrary goal, an arbitrary marker to explain how we all are improving. I mean, just in the past 100 years, life consciousness has exponentially increased what it is capable of doing. I mean, look at the dark ages. Look at any age and you will see the vast improvement. You know, people say, oh, this is a very dangerous time. I mean, there's danger, but it is really improving, and I think we just keep getting better and better. So, yes, it is, but some days it's easier to say than others. Do you, do you find that, that up and uh, improvement in your personal life through, through everything? Totally. I mean, years ago, I saw this, this painting in New Orleans, Louisiana, and it was beautiful. It was just a picture of a street corner, and the streets were clarity and confusion. So some days I feel so clear, so purpose-driven, so aware of where I'm going. I have a beautiful idea of what's happening, and I see massive progress. And then the next day, perhaps I wake up a little bit more confused about where I'm at. But I'm always leading myself, as long as I keep a steadfast faith, I'm always going in the right direction. You can't really expect to have clarity all the time. It's like keeping your head always in the stars or always being so grounded that you don't think outside of the paradigm that you're in. You have to have both to keep an even balanced keel in the world. And so, yes, some days I'm on point. Some days I can talk and listen and hear people and be just an awesome human. And some days, man, I retreat in like a hermit or I don't have the clarity of mind or thought. And both are okay. Everything there is a season and sometimes the season lasts a second, sometimes longer. It's interesting how in being holistic, you have to have the yin and yang, which you just described, the clarity and the confusion. Yes. You have to. I don't think we need to be under any self-delusion that we're an all-enlightened being. I am a very human human. Now, 
I have witnessed things in my life that would suggest that my conscious mind has an aspect of eternality he never before really understood to date. I've seen things and felt things that are far beyond the physical confines of this world. But that doesn't mean that I have to get lost in those things. People go really absolutely crazy when they get lost in that feeling, unless they're prepared to to hold it. So really coming back down to earth and catching our breath or resting, resting our wings is just as vital as flying to the highest heights. It's like the story of Icarus, man. Don't get too close to the sun if, if your wings aren't fully prepared. That is such a fabulous analogy that, um, you know, that you could get burned if you're too high up or if you're too low, you could uh, sub- submerge underwater. It's, it's, uh... Yes, you could drown, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And we're, 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 it's, I mean, I appreciate, you know, the thing is I teach communication and I find the irony in that I think it's really important to listen, but because it's an interview, it's almost like I'm talking so much, but I guess I'll take the the moment to. But I mean, if you just look at the the metaphor of evolution, whether you think it's a real thing or not, I happen to think it's that creation and evolution go hand in hand. But think about starting from the depths of the water and slowly growing fins and then gills and then stepping out of the water onto land. I mean, we started at the lowest depths of conscious understanding, and here we are walking on land, and eventually we'll be flying. You know what I mean? Not Maybe not evolutionary like that, but my point is, if we start at the depths, you could look at the depths of the ocean as the darkest levels of consciousness, and slowly we, we rise up and we stand upright. You know, this is just, everything is symbolic. So I think we're progressing onward and upward always and forever, and then back down again, as is the nature of life, I guess, universe. I think that is what the universe is, um, up and downwards, this, this um, magnetic pool of positive and negative. Yeah, definitely, Aaron, for sure. I mean, science proves that, spirituality certainly does. You mentioned about listening, it's such a, a valuable skill to have in, in all aspects um, and probably to observe is to, to listen to the silence as well. Yes, totally. Yes, and I want to actually commend you, I was thinking about it. You're, one of your gifts is that you just talk to all these people and you listen. You let them talk, you let them express whatever they feel they need to express. You allow them to have whatever sense of importance they have in this moment and to express their ideas and to everything there is a season and so I appreciate you giving people the platform to just talk and gather away but you mentioned in the silence you know like I spent 10 days one time in complete silence I took a vow of silence and I remember what I learned I began to notice after a while like what people were actually saying beyond their words I began to feel what they were saying. And I also began to notice the dance that one can find of reality, the ebb and the flow, quite literally. I even at one point was beginning to recognize through the silence how, like, I think the perfect example is a TV show, right? It's a TV show, and if you really watch a sitcom, you'll notice that somebody walks through the door, they have an interaction with whoever's in the house at the time, 
then they walk out. And the second they walk out, someone else walks in. There is no wasted time. One person comes out, another person comes in. And I noticed that in the silence. In the silence, somebody will be talking, they'll leave, and then somebody else will come right through the door. Or somebody will leave, and the phone will ring. And there is a constant dance of all the players on this world going in and out of each other's lives, whether through telecommunication or physical communication. The silence is really powerful, man. It is absolutely incredible. I suggest anybody to anyone to spend a little while trying to live in the silence. It's very hard to do. Why do you think silence is so powerful? The thing is, if you're looking past duality, which seems to be a common theme among the spiritualists of today, you begin to, I think, begin to recognize that silence is loud as hell, man. Silence is loud. I think it says so much. I don't know why, really, but I do know that in silence, one can hear profound yelling, <laughs> just of a different nature, you know? I don't know why. <laughs> why, I cannot answer. <laughs> when, you, when you say it screams, what do you mean? I mean, you can talk about the meditation, the meditative techniques of the sound of um, you know, that sound? Yes. And we've all heard that, but it just seems to buzz. Silence has a buzzing to it, and it speaks of things that are beyond the noise of civilization, of people. It speaks of more universal aspects. I think, really, it's really beyond words. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I really don't know. I just know from personal experience from shutting the hell up somebody who loves to talk obviously who runs a communication business teaching people public speaking and body language and writing skills i love the sound of my own voice but i didn't realize how loud i was until i was quiet man and it's profound it's it's i don't know why i just know that there's something hiding right in front of us and sometimes we just have to change the way we operate and see it from a different point of view. And quiet helps that. Did you find it difficult going from a chatterbox to a guy who could sit in silence for 10 days? No, not at all, because I may be a chatterbox, but I'm also very, I mean, I considered it difficult for business. I carried around cards and I dealt with customers through pointing and nodding and emails, you know. If I didn't have to make a living, it wasn't really that hard. It was actually really refreshing because I may be a chatterbox, but I'm a chatterbox in public. In my own time, I, I spend most, a lot of my time alone. I'm, oh, I'm very introspective. I'm probably introverted. So it's pretty easy to be quiet. Stilling the mind is a different thing. I think that's a different kind of silence. That stilling the mind is hard even when the, the voice is quiet for 10 days, you know? So I don't, I don't know. I think it depends on the level you want to talk about silence. It's a lot harder to still the mind. I get better with that with time too, but it's a lot harder to still the mind and quiet the voice. I remember waking up one morning from uh, after about eight days in silence. I woke up with a slight panic attack because I was afraid for a split moment in my sleep that I was going to lose my voice through atrophy. <laughs> It, it really starts to play play tricks on you, man, I'll tell you. 
with the internal mind and trying to be silent, can someone actually win the battle and quiet that, or do we still have a, a mental aspect where we're just yammering in our heads? You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm progressed consciously enough to, to give that a certainty in any way, but from my perspective, I think it's possible to quiet the mind. Some people, they would say, oh, meditation is sitting and being quiet. But I notice, you know, like trying to do that sometimes leads to a louder mind. Meditation takes many forms and some people find that peace in action, in some sort of hobby or love doing something. I've driven across the country a lot. I've been to like 48 states in America. I've lived in a bunch of them. I like driving. Driving helps me with that. I think it's possible to still the mind, but the moment you realize your mind is still, it starts to talk again. So I think it lasts for moments, you know, moments. I've never reached the point where it lasts a long time. Uh, that, that's still mind. Did you find driving through those 48 states a form of meditation for yourself? Oh, totally, totally. Uh, I considered it a physical manifestation of an internal seeking. Yeah, for a long time I would travel around, I lived a very bohemian life, I did a lot of bohemian type things, I kind of lived up to a cliche, I guess, on the pursuit of trying to be original, which is always an irony of our social constructs, but I find that in that searching from state to state, from mountain to mountain, from ocean to ocean, from person to person, there was definitely a meditative aspect. There was a conscious recognition of seeking truth and hoping to find it. But I don't think necessarily that the act of traveling to meditate was the sole reason. I think there's a lot of other reasons for that, emotional reasons for traveling so much. But I will say that if you ever drive along the road for a long time, and see all the sights pass by you and have just enough music in the background to drown out things, the mind can just kind of fade away. I, I think people out there listening might know what I mean. They've done that. That must be a cool feeling to have. Yeah, it's cool sometimes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I don't know. Uh, definitely had good times traveling in that part of my life. And in that part of your life, what made you go up and travel through 48 states? Well, curiosity. I think maybe some of it was a product of nurture. You know, in nurturing environment in which I grew up, we I went to 10 schools in 12 years. You know, my father from church to church, from military base to military base. Me and my three brothers and my mother followed him. So there was an innate, perhaps, lack of home that manifested itself into going different places, getting bored with the same site. And so I think that a lot of it is the nurture of my environment, my upbringing. I think also it's an innate desire to adventure. I love adventure. Traveling to me represents the external symbolism for an internal search. We go places in hopes of finding something. Who knows what it is? Maybe it's love. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's a good cup of coffee or a beer at a local bar. There's something we're looking for. And so I, in that aspect, traveling 
serve that role for me. I don't, I don't know. I think it's a product of nurture and it's a product of um, an innate and strong desire to seek things out and to find meaning, whether outside in the world or inside my brain. What do you think uh, curiosity represents in us? Curiosity? What do you think it represents? What do I think it represents overall? Or just, well, how do you, what do you mean? Like, like explore the, like, what does it mean for you? Like, like you went and traveled 48, 48 states for curiosity for various number of things, but I kind mm-hmm. of like to know what, like, we're all curious to do something. Like, I'm curious to interview, you know, to find out yeah. what you are, but what does that curiosity stand on if we took it as an object on the shelf and observed it? Curiosity, I think from um, the deep standpoint of just the mind, for some reason, the moment I started talking just now, if you asked me that question, a vision flashed into my head, and I don't know what it means. It just could be my mind's way of understanding something, but it was a vision of a bright-eyed monkey discovering his self or herself. I think it was his self for the first time. I was looking straight into the eyes of ancient creature whose eyes were lit up because it was discovering that it was something. And I think that's a part of our evolutionary nature, maybe. There's just this innate... It didn't perhaps happen when we were uh, beings, cellular structures in the primordial soup of, of creation, but at some point we gained a certain ability to question we got to a point in our conscious nature where we just started to ask questions and i think it happened a long long time ago and scientists may know more about that than me but i think it's a purpose just to discover what we are a part of so whether we're curious about whether we're curious like a little child who asks why, why, why every question, every time his mother says something, or we're curious as to the nature of our reality, you know? I think it's just a part of the consciousness of humans that we innately have or have developed some way in order to discover that entity we call God. I think that's why it's important. Without curiosity, we would be the metaphorical Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. I think Carl Sagan said one time, if they hadn't eaten the fruit, and you can believe in the story or not, or you can take it for its immense beautiful symbolism, but if they hadn't eaten the fruit, just be still in the box. But it's eating of the fruit, the very act of eating that fruit, that is why we are discovering things, why we're discovering ourselves. And I think that's a part of the process, and once we get to a certain understanding, we'll realize the answer is right in front of us the whole time, and that's why God didn't want us to eat the fruit, but we had to eat the fruit in order to find that out. And to this day, we're still eating the fruit. Yeah, we're eating the fruit, man. <laughs> it's good. It's, it tastes real good. I like, I like mangoes, personally. <laughs> <laughs> you... you- traveled a lot in your in your life from childhood to probably adult is there anything that kind of popped into your mind through 
travel like from one place to the next, settling in, is that kind of the, the nomad in you? Oh yeah, I think that's the natural nomad. We all have the nomad in one way or another, whether it's discovering frontiers on land or frontiers in mind or space. Definitely the nomad in me. I would like to think that the nomad isn't gone, it's just taking a break and getting the, the bigger picture before proceeding. Because I know the way that I would travel through my 20s, it was like I'd get $1,000 saved and I'd go somewhere. And that's just not sustainable for someone that has, I guess you call them ambition, larger than $1,000 or ambitions larger than the coast of California or the swamps of New Orleans. I'm going to have to sit down and labor a little, slow and steady and work on substance in order to to get those bigger nomadic feet. Yeah, were you the, the, the hare that needed to run or the, the turtle that's slow and steady? You know, I'm like the world's fastest tortoise. That's what I think I am. I, uh, I'm definitely turning in more into the, into the tortoise. My composition, astrologically or biologically or whatever you want to call it, my composition growing up was more of impulsivity. I was somebody, and I still am, that went with those those hints of intuition that led me to where I am now and oftentimes I probably did the hard thing or did the thing that probably set me back if you will if there is such a thing but I definitely have been guilty of being the hare making impulsive decisions and really just making it to the finish line at the same time as the tortoise if not right after but I'm only 30 years old so I think recognizing that is an aspect of my wisdom, growing wisdom. And so I think I'll be okay. I think it's pretty natural for a young man to move fast. I think that's uh, safe to say. It's interesting how it's a, it's a famous story. We, we all are, are taught, but yes, it, it's embedded in the way we live throughout our lives. As far as the, how fast we move? Yeah, regarding like the, the story of the hare and the, the, and the, to yeah. the tortoise, you know, that's the way we live today in one way. Oh, totally, totally. I'm working right now on, like I said, more substance. And I think the tortoise, tortoise had more substance. He was, he was slow and steady as opposed to doing a lot and then resting and getting right back where I guess the hair started by moving really quickly and then stopping, you know. I'm working right now on being more the archetype of the, of the tortoise, somebody that uh, makes more quality and less quantity. I, you know, living in one place, making more relationships, stronger relationships that can help get me where I need to go. And I guess in the process, help others get to where they need to go. As someone that is working at their hands, their mind and, and their soul, what is your, your ultimate goal that you are aiming to achieve in life? Well, I can tell you what I think my goal is, and that has stayed pretty consistent over time. I'm not really sure how it's going to manifest itself. And so I kind of throw the line, the fishing line out every day and work on what I can work on. Um, but my ultimate goal in life is to use my ability. I can connect to all types of people. I was always that kid that was everybody's friend. Didn't really have any close friends, really. I mean, I have them now, but I was always the kid that was friends with every group, if you will. I didn't really see the point in sticking with any one group. 
And I have the ability to relate to a lot of people and I'm thankful for that. And I would like to be somebody who helps just elevate the world wherever I can. I think one of my gifts, believe it or not, through this interview or not, I'm always working to improve, but I do think one of my gifts is my ability to speak. I would love to be somebody that people want to hear, not just another voice in the room, but a voice that people ask to hear from because of the fruits of my life and how they have manifested themselves. I would really just like to speak to a lot of people and to write my ideas and to share not just my ideas because my ideas really aren't that original. They're just kind of recycled from the universe archetypes that I grab onto and put my own spin on. But really help share the ideas of other brilliant people throughout the world. Like what you do, you, you do the same thing in your own way. You, you're curious about other people and you are like a place that people where people come and share their story and then through time other people hear that i would just like to be somebody that that connects through through ideas and through philosophical and spiritual discussion on a large my ultimate objective would be to uh, stand in front of a lot of people and talk not in a forceful way in a way that comes naturally and i can only make that come naturally by keeping my eye on that and doing what I can in each moment to make that happen. Throwing the seeds out there and let them grow over time to become the guru in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you met someone on the, the street and they asked, Nicholas, um, if there was one piece of advice you could give me, what would it be? I hate to be difficult, but it would depend on the person I meet and the circumstance that I met them. <laughs> I think that a lot of the way that I operate is um, on an impromptu, spontaneous nature. But if you're asking for a specific, objective, concrete thing right now, as, as at this moment, I would say that it's important to be authentic and to have the bravery to believe in the dreams that you have, whether they're dreams or ideas or visions for your life. I think authenticity and inauthenticity are to me the same thing, but one of them is about giving into fear and another one is about giving into light. And so being authentic is, is hard to, is easy to say, but hard to demonstrate if you look at it like, oh, I'm being authentic because I don't feel like talking to you right now, right? That authenticity, it's not authentic because feeling like you don't want to do something or uh, coming from a place of feeling grumpy or angry or um, despondent or apathetic, these are places of fear. This is where dark, this is a place of where darkness resides. Authenticity is about um, transcending the parts of yourself that are fearful. So just always seeking to be authentic, uh, being is ex- expressing as much light as you can wherever you are, allowing yourself to be your real self and not some contrived aspect of a single social construct that a lot of people live their characters as just authenticity really and believing in vision, having faith in whatever voice guides you within. 
We started off talking about truth and there are really huge components of the true spiritual guru or seeker or human in this world, you know? They are components. So throughout the intro, we've talked about uh, the truth, the communication, and these are components of the true nature of the individual. Do you agree or not? I do. I do agree. And yes, I agree. Is it harder to have this as as a human on the planet today? You know, I like this guy. His name is Jordan Peterson. He's like a pretty well-known psychologist today. Some people, I'm not, uh, he, he got famous for being involved in political ideology. And I'm not talking about that part because it doesn't matter really. But he's also a clinical psychologist. He said that it's a lot harder to be good. So... I think it's really easy for us to be rude, angry, disinterested. These things are like our default. It's a lot easier for us to do lots of drugs and get drunk and be slothful and and engage in, in stupid acts. Like it's a lot harder to be authentic, to come from a place of truth. And I think the reason is, from my understanding, is because these things are, are harder because they're, they're almost higher, in a sense. To be our best self takes a lot of work. It's hard just to survive on Earth, let alone thrive on Earth. And so I think, I think we know that it comes from a higher truth because it's harder. It's harder to do, to act out. So yeah, it's, um, I, think, I think that answered your question. Nicholas, if there was something you would like to like if there was a tree or a plant or or an animal that you would naturally like to be if you had a chance of um, being energy or animal or whatever what would it be the first thing that comes to mind and I don't even know why but I would be a weeping willow <laughs> and and I don't want it to be like because they are supposedly called weeping willows I love the way they flow in the wind and they're always reaching up towards the sky, but their, their leaves are pointed down towards earth. They're beautiful and they can grow in a lot of places. Nicholas, I want to say thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing a chairman of this conversation. Aaron, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate what you do. And thanks for putting me uh, as a priority for an hour. I'm really grateful for that. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T.com. Join Sansit Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.